Hello and welcome to Tokyo Inklings. My name is CY and you can find me on my website at tokyostationpens.com, on Instagram and TikTok at tokyostationpens, and on Twitter at tokyostationmnh. And my name is Jacob. I am Foodafan on Instagram and on Twitter. I have a blog at foodafan.com. And I think this is episode 53. I can't believe it. 53. I mean, it feels like we just did our 50th episode and now we are at 53. Yeah, it's going fast. Soon we're going to be at 100. Yeah. And um, yeah, ho- hopefully we're going to get there. I, I think we are. Um, but, you know, I'm very, very excited. And speaking of being excited, Jacob, we've had like uh, a lot of things. I mean, I'm looking at the show notes and I know half of these are links, so it looks longer than usual. But there, there's quite a few things happening in the pen world that we, we want to talk about this week. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, before I get started on that, um, you know, I just want to take a little time to to say that uh, we had a pretty big earthquake in Japan. Uh, it was about 12 o'clock, um, 11.45 uh, to be precise. And uh, it was pretty big. It was magnitude uh, 7.3, so that's uh, that's pretty big. Um, you know, in Tokyo, what what I felt was you know shaking side by side, and then also up and down, mm. right? And um, and where this earthquake was located was was actually near Fukushima, near Tohoku, um, where I think uh, your um, you know, your significant other's family comes from, right? Yeah, they're a little bit higher up, but it was close to uh, Daiichi, the, the nuclear reactor, right? So that was one of the earlier yeah. concerns. Yeah, and, um, and it, you know, um, it was very reminiscent of what happened, uh, you know, almost 11 years ago now. Mm. 11, 12, I don't remember. But, um, but yeah, obviously, one of the, the retailers there that, that we know and love mm. is uh, Pentanote. And we're going to talk a little bit about their new pen later as well. But, um, you know, Pentanote uh, is located in Tokyo and they, they've created pens that kind of, you know, the Shineho no Akari is, is a tribute to um, the 311 earthquake mm. you know, and kind of, you know, strength that the people in Tohoku have to you know, muster in themselves. They've actually closed uh, for the while because of the earthquake. Um, you know, they, they've had water leakage, mm. they had uh, damage to the walls, and they basically said, you know, we're not in a we're not in a position to to do business right now. Yeah. Um, in an older building, so they don't know when they can reopen, mm. and uh, and they can't take you know phone calls at their shop because you know mm. everything is kind of broken. Um, so yeah, I, I just want to take this time. Uh, you know, to to wish them, um, you know, hope they're safe, and uh, and yeah, hope they they can rebuild and come back strong because they've got some pretty banging uh, pens that they've just released. So, um, yeah, I uh, I sincerely hope that they're they're gonna be able to get back on their feet. Yeah, for sure, I agree, and I think there are two things here. Right, one is obviously being in Fukushima, they are closer to the epicenter, so it was probably f- felt. In different way up there. The other thing is, like here in Japan, as you know, the uh, the building standards change every few years. So in general, it's said that the more recent the building is, the more like, earthquake proof it is going to be. Um, so in general, it's said that if you live in a building that is built year two thousand or later, then it's going, you're going to be fine. Uh, if you live in an old, older one, it's, it's pretty bad. I remember actually, I mean, I was here 
<laughs> I was here walking during the big one in uh, 2011, and I was in a bit older building. I think it was built in like in the 70s or something like that. And I remember, like, I was in the office, and we had this conference call. And as you know, you know, earthquakes happen in Japan almost all the time, right? So you don't generally, if you've been here for a while, you don't panic. You don't start, you know, running out the moment the ground is shaking because it happens so often, <laughs> right? So we were on a conference yeah. call and it started shaking and we just didn't pay too much attention. We just kept talking and then like it kept going for like half a minute or more and it just get more and more intense. And at one point we just said, yeah, this is not a normal one. And I did, we sorry, we're going to yeah. have to hang out for a while. And then I remember, I, for, for the, <laughs> yeah, for a while, yeah, and then, yeah, and then I remember I had to take cover for the first time ever. I had to take cover under the desk, and you know, in Japan, most buildings, at least office buildings, I think they're required to have this bag under each desk, yeah, and the bag contains yeah. this like emergency stuff during an stuff you need during an earthquake. So you got this helmet, you got a flashlight, and some other stuff. So the, for the first time ever, I put on that helmet. Um, I didn't need a flashlight, but I put on the helmet. I remember seeing, I was looking up and I saw these like monitors. They were like gliding back and forth on the, on the yeah. desks and some of them fell off the desk. And again, this was an older building. So it was felt in a very different, it was really shaking. Um, mm -hmm. But also remember, I mean, going back to this whole thing about building standards. Uh, prior to that, I worked in uh, Roppongi Hills, which is one of the newer buildings in Tokyo. And in Roppongi Hills, it doesn't feel the same way. It just like sways back and forth. It feels like you're like a sailing boat or something like that. It doesn't shake in the same way. So that is the difference between a building that is a modern and built according to the latest earthquake standards and an old one. So uh, yeah, if you're living in an old building and if you're anywhere close to the epicenter, then it's it's pretty scary. Yeah, and uh, now we are a building standards podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um anyways even even in tokyo we had uh some areas that lost power uh fortunately i didn't lose power oh really you didn't yeah because that happened here and i remember well, first of all i woke up in the middle of the night because unlike you i go to sleep during reasonable hours so i've been asleep for like a good <laughs> two hours i woke up and we lost power uh, and then there was this announcement you know they had these, like big megaphones or whatever like all over Tokyo, it was this announcement saying that be careful when you cross the street because all the traffic lights are off, so you don't, you you might not see the cars coming or whatever. So be extra careful when you cross the streets. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's wild. Yeah. Anyways, um, hope uh, everybody's doing well. Last time we had a major earthquake, I know that um, I, I think it was Pentanote again. Poor guys, but uh, they, they had um. A picture where all the ink bottles you know s smashed onto the ground mm. and obviously this time it's probably worse so i, I hope uh hope they have insurance i'm pretty sure they will have mm. insurance uh for that but yeah i'm hoping that they they recover quickly for sure this segment we haven't done in quite a while so i thought it would be um interesting to bring it back uh once in a while but um we haven't done like acquisition segments in a while and that's kind of on purpose but I feel like this time we have things that are interesting enough to kind of, you know, talk a little bit about on the podcast. Before we do that, um, let's do some updates on shipping because uh, you and I, we both ship quite a lot to overseas, right? Yeah, and me not nearly as much as you do, but I did see this notice on um, Japan Post's website. So from June, no, no, May, maybe it was May or June, I can't remember anymore. 
they are going to increase prices for EMS and e-packet. I think it was also surface mm-hmm. mail and it was quite significant. I think today if you ship send an EMS package to the US, then the price starts at like 2,400 yen, so it's like $20, $20-ish, right? Um, from from May or from June, the starting price is going to be like 3,600 yen, if I remember correctly. And and um, and you can, if you choose e-packet instead, which by the way is not, still not available for the US, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, but it was an insignificant difference. You're pay, paying almost as much for e-packet as you are for EMS, and you don't get the same insurance, and you don't get the same speed. And even service mail has become quite expensive. So, yeah, it's a, it's more difficult than ever to ship. Yeah, um, and not only that, uh, but, you know, with the war in Ukraine right now, mm planes are not able to fly over Russia and obviously not able to fly over Ukraine. So there is no EMS service to Europe at all right now, um, which has been a problem for me. I'm trying to see if I can find some forwarding services to help me out on that. But in general, um, shipping has gone to a not great place. And yeah, I think we're going to see prices increases on shipping. And this, this has been actually kind of a trend right because they since we started doing this podcast they've increased ems prices three times including this one i think so yeah yeah we're gonna see logistics get uh more and more expensive for sure yeah um and then the second thing that i have here is uh you are on the pen addict podcast so congratulations (laughs) thank you yeah so i'm i'm a bit curious about like how this came to be. I, I listened to the pen act this morning, um, and you know, Brad said it was kind of like a last minute thing. You know, you had to work through some time zones. But you know, how how does one get invited onto the pen Addict podcast? <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> well, so I got a a message. I think it was a Twitter DM or something like that, just a few days before, and he said that I. I it's like it's last minute sorry about that but i need a a guest for the podcast i think the reason was that mike was in the u.s to cover that like the apple event or something like that mm-hmm. um and uh, he asked if there was any way i could f- find time to to be on the podcast and i looked at my schedule and i managed to find a time slot early tuesday morning for me and, and late monday for him so right right yeah, that's how it happened yeah, so, I mean, you wake up at, like, 5 o'clock, so... <laughs> I do, I do, yeah. Yeah, so, not, not, it's, I mean, it's almost, like, a normal time for you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, I, I kind of want you to just speak a little bit about, I don't want to do, like, too long, but, you know, how was it? You, you had a great, um, great conversation. What was the kind of feedback that you've gotten from that? What I would say is, Brad is a very good interviewer, right? He mm-hmm. keeps, we talked about that off the podcast, but he yeah. keeps the you know, conversation flowing and it, it's, very, it's very easy to be a guest on that podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, for, for reference for, you know, folks who maybe, um, you know, don't have the context why, I, I was on Brad's podcast for the members. Mm. And yeah, Brad was an incredibly good interviewer, mm. um, 
you know, his questions kept flowing and flowing. And, you know, as Brad says, he could probably talk for like five or six hours mm. about this, especially since, you know, we don't really talk um, in voice often, right, with Brad Dowdy. Sometimes we might exchange some DMs. Mm. Uh, we might, you know, you know, post something on Twitter and interact with each other. But, uh, yeah, when it comes down to, like, the in-depth stuff, it's obvious, I think, once you're talking to him. And it might not be obvious when you're, like, listening, right? Mm. But when you're actually speaking with him, you know, you see, okay, yeah, this is why they've been able to do it for 10 years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he he is genuinely interested, right? He wants to know more yeah. and, and that, you know, informs his question. And that's why it's so easy to be a, a guest on his podcast. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is uh, I better step up my game, otherwise I'm going to be fired. <laughs> All right. Hopefully you don't replace me with Brad Dowdy. But um, yeah, I think overall it was enjoyable experience right would you say that yeah for sure yeah and and we talked a little bit about it uh afterwards as well because we actually saw each other last weekend um at the latest wagner event and we used to cover like these wagner events when we would go more often but now i think we go maybe once maybe at Mm. most twice a year now um and i think this time we went and we, we got a couple people out to go it was it was fun. Um, is there anything you want to say about the the event? I would say it was bigger than usual, as in the venue was pretty much the same as usual. But there were more, both more tables and more attendees. I would say I'm not quite sure why, but it was quite like some of these Wagner events you go to. It feels like you know why am I spending two thousand yen when there are like four tables and they just old friends talking to each other. There's nothing I can buy here anyway. Yeah. And um, I briefly considered having a table there, but then I, re- I, I kind of decided I didn't have enough um, interesting pens to to warrant getting a table anyways. And, you know, I walked in, took a look around, um, and we'll talk a little bit about this later, but from what was on the tables, it was like, you know, just the standard stuff. And, and this is the thing with Wagner is that... Um, it's not that the things aren't good, but it's more that I think every time you go, it's you know pretty much the same stuff. Well, some people bring really interesting pants, but they're not for sale, right? So, so, it's, so yeah. at the same table, there are like two trays, and one tray is for sale, the other one isn't, and it's not obvious, right? So there was one guy who had this blue custom Arushi and some... You know, classic pens and some other like unobtainium pens, right? And he didn't label them properly. So everyone asked him if he, if he could buy the blue customer Russia, and he just left and said, "No, no, no, they're not for sale." <laughs> yeah, I think that's the the idea behind trying to buy a blue customer Russia, right? <laughs> it's just, oh, you want a, a custom blue Russia? Yeah, good luck with that. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but you found something interesting. Because you you read the blog more than I did. Yeah, so one or two days before the event, uh, Morrison did a blog post where he put up a number of pens for sale. So the idea is that some of the pens, like people who can't go to the event in Tokyo, they might still want to be able to buy or sell pens. So I think the idea is that people send the pens to him and he puts them up on the blog and... Uh, and you, you can buy them from him and you can either pick them up at the event or he can send them to you or something like that. And I noticed a Wagner 2016 
pen, which was the Sailor Rialo. Kruger Rialo uh, in purple with like subtle glitter and it's got this laser engraved um, uh, nib. And I noticed before the event, like normally he updates his blog post when the pen is sold and I noticed it wasn't sold, but he didn't have it on his tray. So I asked him, you know, what about that, that purple Rialo? Do you still have it? So he reached for his um, pen wrap and he said, yeah, I still have it here. So I said, okay, I'll take it. Yeah, because you asked me that morning, you said, did you buy the purple Rialo? I had no idea what you were talking about. I was like, oh, what purple Rialo? And, and then you you ignored me. No, because you uh, <laughs> the, the conversation went in another direction, right? Uh, I, I wasn't intentionally ignoring you. It was just it took a different... No, I, we went on a no, tangent. I think it, it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, I think we were like, oh, yeah. What, what is this purple real? Anyways, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. But but uh, to me, the interesting thing about the Wagner event wasn't the Purple Riello. To me, the most interesting thing was that I got to talk a bit to Morrison and to um, Tomoko. And I got some information about this year's Wagner uh, 3776 pen. So mm-hmm. they said, said a few things. So the, the new pen is going to be a light color. I wasn't... I wasn't supposed to say what color, so let's just say it's going to be a light color. It's going to be a nice design so with these, you know, shaper cut grooves. Um, they are hoping to do ruthenium or like black iron plating, which I don't think I've ever seen on a platinum pen before. So, so this may or may not happen, but they, they were hoping to do that. It would be very cool on, on a platinum 3776. The last thing is that, let's just say that the the nib, not just the nib width, but uh, more importantly, the nib shape might be a surprise. And we'll have to wait until June, but it could be a surprise. The nib shape might be a surprise. Yes, the shape itself. The the shape of the nib or the tipping? No, the shape of the nib itself. From platinum. So, So you're saying that they might not use the standard platinum 3776 nib now all i'm saying is that it may be surprised and maybe i'll tell you more after the podcast <laughs> all right all right uh we'll see about that okay um and then on uh on my side obviously you know we we, we met up we, we talked we had a great time and uh and i brought this uh aurora obb nib that i had bought mm. um the hammerhead from, from a store yeah I, I think this obb nib was uh was crazy and i hadn't known about aurora's obb nibs because i feel like a lot of a lot of um a lot of talk is given to like you know mont blanc's obb or o3b uh you see a lot of talk about you know um pelican's uh obb nibs but i feel like on the internet there's not much that's said about aurora's obb Mm. and i think that's i understand it but i think it's a little bit um unjustified because not a lot of retailers will carry this obb nib even um so one of the places that i get nibs uh from sometimes is let's say you know in the u.s it's like nibsmith.com or mm. nibs or whatever it may be uh and usually and and for auroras i've bought two auroras from nibsmith um and uh they usually have all of the options including the gotcha nibs but nobody has this obb nib so um you know on a whim when i was in hong kong Last year, uh, I, I went to MusePens and they had this OBB nib. And I tried it out with 
without really a lot of expectations. But oh my goodness, this was such a good writing pen. I was like, oh, I, well, I would love to have this OBB nib. So I ordered the OBB nib. Um, it came and it has this hammerhead look. And I just think it's, it's extremely unique. But it's not a lot of tipping. I feel like they're, they're cheating. I mean, if, if you buy it with, mm-hmm. I mean, if you want, if you want like a stub like nib, I'm sure you will be happy. But if you are a nib grinder or rather if you buy an OBB with the intention of, of sending something to nib grinder to grind to something else because you think that the BB means a lot of tipping, then you might be disappointed. Well, I think that's exactly why it's not talked about often because I wouldn't call this... Well, I would say that this is like an OBB of old in the sense that it's not a big blob of tipping. It's actually more like an oblique um, italic. It's it's very much for kind of calligraphy in that sense. Right. And um, And as you said, the way that they've welded it means that you can do a size reduction, but you can't get rid of that oblique slant. Mm. So um, I, I definitely think that that's probably why not a lot of people talk about it because it's it, it looks and feels much more like a specialized um, nib. Yeah. And I think I had the I have the opportunity actually I I, I own one now um, an Aurora BB nib and it looks like that but it's flat instead. Mm. So. I was talking to uh, the owner of Muse Pens, and he was telling me that you know the the nib worker, the nib master at Aurora, mm. is very, very, very precise, very good with his grinding, and I, I don't think they, um, you know, the these kind of more specialty nibs for them, it's it's like it's like you've already sent it to a you know a nib grinder. That's something I always wonder. If, I mean, in general, if you are a pen maker and you have an in-house like nib specialist, for what kind of grinds is the nib specialist involved? Because I rem- I imagine that if you're doing like a fine medium, then maybe maybe there is some inspection involved, but you probably don't need to do anything with a nib, right? So, for what grinds do you need? If, for what kind of factory grinds do you need? help from like a nib grinder yeah i think that's an interesting question and you know i know that some um manufacturers they have uh people who can offer you grinds but but as you said not a lot of manufacturers seem to offer grinds Mm. right and then if we think about like pilot for example we always lament that there aren't really like nib workers in japan but if you think about pilot instead of having like you know specialty grinds they've just made that a nib option like the stub for example yeah. right yeah so so that was pretty cool and then afterwards uh i got two new realos um and i thought this was interesting enough to to put on the podcast because um normally if it's a, like you know another sailor then it's you know okay it's another sailor but um we know that Sailor has been discouraging retailers from releasing uh, Realo pens because, um, you know, we, we've heard rumors about their manufacturer, um, the, the process not being very good, and, you know, the, the kind of failures that they have 
on these. And specifically, we heard that they don't like to do um, demonstrator or see-through uh, realos because of the glue application that will be visible. So I was surprised when Pentanote came out with this uh, letters from Fukushima pen, which is called um, Shinobu no Midori Iro. Mm. And this is, this is a beautiful, beautiful pen. I don't think you've seen it in person, right? There was some pen you brought to Wagner. I can't remember which one. It probably wasn't this one okay. because, um, because I hadn't received it uh, yet. But I have it in hand now. And this pen has a white section. I think that's my only qualm with this. First of all, from the pictures, I think we've we've talked a little bit about how Japanese retailers just take the most awful pictures, right? <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah, but this is not the case with Pentonota now, because Pentonota they take amazing pictures. I think they they take the best, you know, product photography photos, um, especially of their um, of their unique products. I think their their feed probably still needs like a little bit of work in terms of like the strategy mm. but just the the product photos that they have on this pen it, it's just incredible so you look at this pen you look at the picture um and i have the link on the show notes um it just looks like an incredible uh mint green color right but then when it arrived and i opened it i realized that it actually has um this subtle and when it's in hand it's not actually that subtle anymore this gold glitter that's inside the pen. Mm. And that's something that just doesn't come across on the photos at all. Mm. And this pen, I think, is is a massive hit for um, for Pentanote. I was on the website, you know, and instantly all the Zoom nibs sold out. I couldn't even get any Zoom nibs. And then everything was sold out within 15 minutes. So, so you're telling me that the Zoom sold out and it's not your fault this time? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I tried to get the Zoom nibs, but, but they were already sold out by the time I got there. Okay. So... And this is absolutely incredible. Another thing that I don't think we've talked about is that the finial um, logo, which has the anchor, right? So they've now moved all of the new production sailors to have the new anchor logo. And what's interesting is on the owl pen, uh, the anchor logo is kind of like a solid piece of, I don't know if it's metal or if it's just gilding. But here the logo has a, is like hollow inside mm. i'm not the biggest fan of it but um i noticed this actually when i bought some new hachimonjia and i had the old version the new version and the anchors were different so i'm fairly uh certain that the sailor nibs and actually i i know this for a fact the new sailor nibs will also have the new logo without the 1911 on it mm. yeah it is yeah. It is a pretty pen for sure. I, I, I mean, just looking at Pentanote's photo, uh, I agree. I would still say that I think it would be even better in a profit shape. I, I just, I can't get over how unbalanced Pro Gears look when they are realos. So a normal cartridge converter Pro Gear is perfectly balanced because it's, it's a flat on both ends, right? But if you have a Rialo, then you have this tapering on the barrel with a, with a, with a blind cap, and it just looks like a daikon to me. Well, you know, what can I say? You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this, this nib has a little mountain rabbit on it, which I think is, is very, very adorable. Um, you know, amazing pen. 
the other pen that I got is uh, is from uh, now our friend Izumi. Um, and for the last few times we've met, you know, we've also seen uh, Izumi pens, and he's been able to give me a load of insights because he actually designs and commissions a lot of these pens uh, working with different retailers. And this time he came out with a, um, I don't know what the exact word for that. I don't know if I can call it pearlescent or, um, or iridescent or whatever, but it looks a lot like, um, looks kind of like that new um, shiny Kaweco that came out recently. Ah, yeah, yeah, and for sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, and this, this pen, it's, it's so strange because it looks like a white material if there's no like direct light shining on it. But now with like my room light, it kind of glows this, this green color. And, and somehow I just can't stop looking at it. And he made an edition of 80. And I actually knew about this pen um, since the Tokyo International Pen Show because that's what we were discussing downstairs. Uh, at the cafe, but um, but now that's come out, this is just absolutely incredible. Um, he never puts it, I, he never puts any prices, uh, at least not on his Instagram posts. I guess if you need to ask, you can't afford it. Well, to be honest, the the prices aren't that bad considering what it is. Uh, the prices aren't that bad, and you know we we speak in Chinese because he's a, he's a Chinese guy. So um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty cool. And these nibs originally come in the new standard stamped uh, nibs, which we kind of talked about before, but not really in depth. But you know how it has um, sailor nibs traditionally are stamped with either H and then their their nib size or S and then their nib size, right? right? And then sometimes you have uh, you had these weird like um, outliers that don't have any stamping at all. Yeah, the, the old 14K ones. Yeah, they're some mysterious yeah. ones. Yeah. Moving forward, there will be no H designation on the nibs anymore. That makes sense, though, because H only made sense when they actually sold S nibs, right? Apparently, they still do for Ohashiro, right? Well, but we, as, as you also mentioned, uh, we have seen very recently that Ohashido has moved to, at least for some of their pens, 21k nibs so i'm not sure if sailor has finally given up on s nibs even for hashido we, we need to ask mr Uehara next time yeah which which would be a shame because um i've been flexifying some of these 14k nibs and they're just really really nice to work with mm. um so that would be very very unfortunate that's uh that's my new realos um really beautiful pens and and i'm glad because uh it seems like sailor is is kind of getting more on board with making realos again. Yeah, that, w- that would be good. I mean, they have obviously, I mean, one of the, well, the biggest reason why they they accepted the, the big investment that we have covered extensively is that they wanted to rebuild their Kure headquarters and the factory and then yep. just improve their production. And maybe we're seeing the, the fruits yep. of that now. Yeah, and we'll have to take a field trip out to Kure when, you know, they accept visitors oh yes for sure that would be fun all right uh another day another scandal <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you've been all over this one i think last week or you know um you know, sometime a few days ago a rumor st- no a um twitter thread was started by i think cult pens on the uk and they're saying um 
hey, can you guess what pen is in our picture? Mm. And uh, who replies but Twisby? And Twisby replies, it's Narwhal who copied, who stole our piston design. Okay, so, so before we move on, what do you think about this exchange, which has, by the way, since been deleted? Yeah, that that was so random to me, and it's I mean it ties into another discussion about why this whole thing is happening right now. It makes I mean based on that comment alone, it makes you think that they got some new guy coming in at Twisby and and suddenly very upset about this in a way that they haven't been before. This kind of migrated to to Reddit, and some guy uh, originally he didn't post any. Um, evidence, and then afterwards he came back with a screenshot, which, by the way, has also been deleted. But I took a, I took, um, I took receipts and I downloaded it, and I'm just gonna read out this, uh, this letter because th- there's a whole letter. There's like they, they had pictures, they had like dimensions. It was very, very detailed. But this screenshot, I think, um, is just at the very end of uh, of this email, which I'm gonna read out there, which is, uh, which is narwhal. First, quote-unquote, original fountain pen contains an almost exact copy of our 580 uh, Echo, Eco, I don't know what the correct way to say that is, but um, Eco, piston mechanism design. The same mechanism is now used in their Nautilus, and, and again, I don't know how to say this word, Shulkil? Are I, I don't know I don't know what this is but I think it's I know kind I of a fish I don't know marine animal lineup Moonman has done the same copying our piston mechanism in their T1 with the additional of a knockoff Kaveco cap Piston fillers and caps are not a proprietary technology several companies have piston mechanisms however Copying a design down to every dimensional spec is unethical and a design infringement. In order to uphold our own integrity and years of hard work, effective May 1st, 2022, Twisby will no longer conduct business with any business affiliates slash partners who offer these copy products for sale, including but not limited to Narwhal and Moonmen. We value the many years of mutual business relationships with each of you and hope to continue many more years forward. Thank you for your understanding and continuing support. What do you think? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. So first of all, I haven't seen the full email. I don't even know if, if, if it's real. I assume it's real because I listened to the pen addict, the most recent episode. And I think Brad said that he had seen the whole thing and that makes me think I mean, that, that, that it exists. There's the real thing, right? Um, I wanted to see if I can get some first-hand information. So I'd actually reached out to Twisby and asked him a number of questions, including, you know, is this even a real story? And I did that almost a week ago. And I contacted both the Taiwan office and the U.S. office, and I didn't hear anything back. So um, that was kind of interesting. But so assuming this is correct, I mean, there are, there's a lot to unpack here. One is that I mean, clearly they are saying or they are realizing that they don't have a legal case here, right? Um, or either they don't think they have a legal case or, or they think it would be not worth the cost or effort to pursue that, right? Yeah, I think um, on the whether it's real or not, uh, I, I know for a fact that this is real. Um, I haven't seen the full document, but 
multiple very reliable sources, um, including retailers, have told me that this is real uh, and, and that this was the letter. So, so I think we can, you know, put that to bed immediately. And then on the on the legal front, I think yeah, they've kind of obviously been inspired by Kaveco's. Uh, how do I say this? Adventures. And and they've chosen to take a different route, which we'll talk a little bit about afterwards. Right. But so they are probably recognizing that they don't have a legal case, but they still want to do something, right? So that means they are really, mm-hmm. they are presumably the, the larger company here. And presumably most, I would assume that, I don't know, but I would assume that most retailers probably selling more Twispy pens than normal pens only because, you know, Twispy is the bigger brand. So they are kind of acting like a bully here, right? And they are trying to to exclude a competitor that is not doing anything illegal just because they don't like it, which really doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Brad said something. Uh, you know what? Let let's let's talk about what Brad said later. I want to get into the the nitty-gritty because because brad kind of mentioned that i did this video he didn't go into it i saw another reddit post um about how twisby themselves had copied pelican and Mm. i think this post is uh still online and inside they have a picture of the twisby echo and the Pelican M800, and the you know mechanisms look almost exactly the same. And uh, and in it there is a an exchange on Fountain Pen Network from 2009, which was when I believe Twisby first you know became an up and coming brand. Um, and so so there's a little bit, and then this guy, who. Very interestingly, his handle is Diplomat. So Diplomat says, uh, Very neat, thank you. I love the packaging and the comparative shots with the M800 and M600. Do you have any patented innovation in the mechanism that you care to share? Cheers. And then Speedy, which I believe was the, the founder, the owner of, uh, of Twisby, says, On this pen, there is not new patent involved. Most of the mechanism or system available on Fountain are long time ago innovation. Correct me if I am wrong. Since we are a self-contained pen maker with full capacity to do design through production in-house, our major interest is how we can let people come to enjoy the handwriting with the nice and affordable price through the shortest channel. Yeah, to me the biggest mystery is why this is happening now the only two you know possible reasons i can think of is that maybe there have been some you know discussions going on for a while and and maybe those discussions broke down one way or another um or there's some new guy at twisby that uh, you know came in guns blazing (laughs) trying to to do something here (laughs) because we can't explain that that strange tweet Right, um, because as they are saying too, I mean, Norwell, like, Norwell has been has been selling 
piston filler pens for at least over a year, I mean, probably longer than that. And I think two or three yeah, years. Yeah. And Muma T1 isn't really there. I mean, it was like one year ago or something like that, right? So it's a little bit odd that it's happening right now. It makes you wonder what, what the actual you know trigger was. Yeah. Um, so I, I I got into discussion about this uh, on on Facebook, of course. Um, best place for discussions. And um, somebody actually mentioned that maybe the war in Ukraine, uh, and and by the way, a lot of people in in Taiwan uh, see the war in Ukraine as an uncanny parallel to what they can expect. Uh, for Taiwan and China, and Narwhal is made in China, uh, you know, we pretty much for a fact know that Moonmen produces Narwhal pens. Um, you know, everything is, is pretty much the same. They have slight uh, mechanism differences, but enough for me to at least determine that I, you know, I believe that the same factory is making these pens. So, so maybe there's some kind of like a political um, reasoning behind why now they're getting like sensitive yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a long shot, but there's no other obvious other explanation. So, I mean, at least it's a possibility, right? Uh, and and you're right, I mean, about the, the Moonman uh, similarity. I mean, one thing I mean, you can easily tell is that Narwhal and Moonman, they use the same nib units, right? And this is not Bok nib units. This is not Joe no. nib units. This is this is Moonman's own ore. The, the nib unit that all the Moonman's pens have, and also also the same that Narwhal pens have, right? right? And and there's right. good reason to believe that the nibs, the quote-unquote in-house Narwhal nibs, are actually made by the same company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. You know the the actual patent, and people are like, "Oh, does Twist be you know do this pen, blah blah blah." The actual pen for the for um, the piston filler uh, was first filed in the you know nineteen twenties. Don't want to get too deep into like patent stuff, but I actually you know I, I saw this and I actually have all three of these pens. So, so I did a little Facebook, uh, not Facebook. I did a little Instagram live mm. uh, to see what parts of this you know claim is true because and i'm gonna reread the a little bit of the the letter um copying a design down to every dimensional spec is unethical and a design infringement now brad dowdy on on his podcast uh said he 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 read the letter and even in twisby's own pictures and measurements they are different but when you disassemble the pens they kind of look similar so I went about, you know, and I had these four pens. I went about trying to fit each of the parts mm. together. And, uh, and there's a, uh, what I call the washer part, which is, which is the actual, you know, piston head. Mm. There's a connector. There's a piston spindle. Yeah. And then there's the piston knob, mm. right? And what I found is that every single one of these parts are not interchangeable mm. among each other. Um, the Moonman uh, knob and the Twisby knob are barely interchangeable, but that's only because of the uh, the small, um, I would say, gap in the tolerances. 
you can clearly feel that it's harder to screw on mm. um, a Moonman uh, knob onto the Twisby unit, even though it theoretically, I mean, it, it works, but it, it feels bad doing it. Um, so my conclusion at the end of that video was that Moonman and Narwhal um, have taken just as much, if not less, mm. from Twisby than what Twisby has taken from Pelican. Yeah, I, I saw your video actually, and by the way, I saw a very good video, a very thorough uh, breakdown that really illustrates you know, the, the, the points you're making here. To be honest, my biggest surprise looking at your video was that Moonman and Narwhal's pistons weren't ex exactly the same. I thought they would, they would have been exactly the same. So um, that was a bit of a surprise to me. But yeah, I mean, you're clearly illustrating that they're all, all of them are slightly different, but all of them are quite similar. Yeah. I would say, I think this whole thing is going to backfire for Twisby more than Kaweka's adventure backfired for Kaweka because Kaweka took a very unusual approach and I think it ended up being absolutely mm -hmm. toothless and sort of fizzled out. And mm -hmm. for that reason, I don't think it also... Like, it, they, didn't, they didn't achieve in any way the desired effect, but because it was so no. toothless, I don't think it really backfired on it because no few people had really noticed what was going on, right? But if Twisby follows through with this threat now, then either retailers are going to stop selling normal and I think customers are going to be rightfully pissed off and they're going to hear why that happened, or retailers are going to say, no, we're not going to do that. They're going to have to drop Twisby, in which, in which case it's going to negatively affect Twisby's sales. I think the option that would backfire the least is if Twisby realizes that they made a mistake and if they somehow manage to spin this and you know get out of this whole mess before it escalates any further yeah. i think that's the only way out yeah they would have to to retract mm. it um one more thing before i talk about you know the the retailer aspect um i find it very uh how should i how should i put this i find it very um ironic that twisby is making this claim because Twisby's new Twisby Swipe is almost exactly the same pen as the Pen BBS 500. You could uh, argue that Twist, sorry, that Pen BBS 500 in turn was inspired by Twisby Go, which was this, you know, push piston thing. But but it's not exactly the same. Uh, I wrote a review with Pen BBS 500 a while back, and I said it was somewhere somewhere in between a Conid and a. a Twispy Go, which I think is still a true. Say, so PenBBS is right. not a copy, and it's interesting if, if what you're saying is true that Twispy Swipe is now close to PenBBS 500. Right, and, and I think my my point here is that all of these mechanisms, you know, none of these are are really new. And as as Brad said, you know, if I were you know starting to throw these stones, I'd make sure my house mm. is not made of glass. And yeah, I think that that's really true. They've they've kind of dug themselves in a hole, and I think they they ex they didn't expect the the you know goodwill to Narwhal mm. because you know if you're kind of in the know, you kind of realize that hey, Narwhal is actually made by Moonmen, and a lot of people seem to not like Moonmen. Mm. Right, right. So, um, so 
the reaction and the comparison between Kaveka, I think, here is very apt. I actually personally um, really, really, really disliked Kaveko's uh, approach of doing it. I thought they were um, taken away. That's just they were they were vengeful. You know, mm. it, it was it was a toothless, meaningless act that resulted in nothing good, right? Nothing good came out of that. Um, but then, as you said, the the impact on themselves is minimal. Mm. I actually respect Twisby's decision here a lot more than i respect kaveko's way because they're actually saying okay you know you you make your own pens like we can't stop you from making your own pens but we decide to not sell to people who carry you which is something that happens in retail all the time right like uh if you think that uh a brand is you know copying you 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 can go to say hey like we don't want you to carry brands that we think we believe are copies of our products brad's Mm. analysis was that this puts things on the retailers and it's unfair i actually don't think so i think retailers get to face this all the time if you don't have a physical store with a mont blanc display then you can't sell mont blanc you know that's just the end of the story so i think that you know the conditions of whether a a retailer is able to carry a brand or not I think that's that's entirely very fair for the manufacturer to to impose. Now, whether the retailers will agree or disagree, I think that's interesting. Um, yeah, go ahead. Now, I was just going to say that I think in Kaweco's case, it was more of an act of desperation because they probably didn't think they had, I mean, rightfully, they have any other avenues, right? Because there aren't that many retailers... Uh, in the West, at least, selling, you know, Moonman and uh, uh, Wingsang and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the like. Instead, people buy these pens on eBay and Etsy and Amazon. And there's no way Kaweka would ever be able to convince Amazon to, you know, pull those products, right? I mean, good luck with that. So, so I don't think Kaweka felt like they had, there was anything they could do. So this was just a pure act of desperation that's also why it didn't really have any effect yeah um it'll be interesting to see because now it's a question of which brand the um do the retailers believe have more potential yeah but, but that's why twisty seems like such a bully right because they're really saying that like legally we probably can't do anything but we don't like what Narwhal is doing here. We think, we argue, even though it is not a legal case, but we argue that this pen is too similar, so you have to choose. I think they are there being a bully and it really looks bad. And I'm hoping, to be honest, I'm hoping that some retailers will choose Narwhal over Twispy. Well, I think, um, I mean, just looking at the, the retailer Instagram pages, it, it does look like a lot of retailers just going ahead and advertising Narwhal anyway. Mm. So Narwhal just came out with a new collection. And then, you know, I'm looking at, you know, Atlas Stationers. They're still, you know, full steam ahead. they got like four or five recent posts on Narwhal mm. pen. They've done exclusive with Narwhal. And Narwhal comes out with interesting colors. Yeah, they, they look uh, great. The new pens, they, they look beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot more than I can yeah. say for Twisby. Now, I love the Twisby, mm. uh, the Twisby Draco 
uh, you know, I, I think that mm. pen is, is great, but, you know, at the same time, Twisby has their own issues that they need to solve on, on QA, right? So... Yeah, and just on that note, I mean, we're saying now that we think, I mean, we can prove that we think that Narwhal is made by the same factory that makes moon map pens. That is not, that is not criticism. I mean, we have both talked extensively about how much we like the Moonman T1. And I think, and we know, I mean, we think that Moonman T1 is a good quality pen at a fantastic price. So I think this model, I mean, if this is indeed what Narwhal is doing, to, to use that factory and have that as a base pen and then create all kinds of customizations. I think that's a brilliant business idea. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think it's great. Um, and I think they have several iterations on the pen design itself, mm. but they I think they've got a good thing going for them. Yeah. Uh, my, my only complaint about Narwhal is that I feel like they should be more forthright with the fact that they you know, they, they keep on saying that they use like in-house mm. nibs, which, you know, is it, just not true. Yeah. Right. So, so I feel like that's the only thing that I would really want to criticize mm. them for, but otherwise I think, you know, they, they've got a good thing going. For sure. All right. So, um, geez, that was a <laughs> long segment. Yeah. So, so I want to talk a little bit about the latest issue of uh, Shimano Bungabaku. So we have talked extensively about how this is you know japan's biggest stationary magazine comes out four times a year and um, it's usually you know interviews with the uh, betchori and, and but every once in a while they have some interesting stuff so there, there's two things in the latest issue that i wanted to talk about the first thing is that they had an interview with the uh, Zen papers president uh, it's a very short interview there isn't much in a way of juicy details but they did mention that the reason why Tomogawa chose Sansen was that Sansen was able to produce a paper that is very similar, like very similar to Toma River. The other interesting detail is that <clears throat> they have already started production of the new Toma River Techo, so that 52 GSM paper. They did started production last month. Um, there's no mention of you know who is you know where you can buy it. Uh, my guess would be that you can probably see this uh, Da Vinci refills very soon because as both Alessa and I, I have noticed, maybe you noticed that as well, you almost can't buy this Da Vinci Tomo River refills anymore. They seem to be sold out uh, in many places, so they probably have to replenish pretty soon. So that was just one little nugget that I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's that's cool that um, I think we're going to be able to see these uh, this new... Uh, Tomoe successor and you know whatever they name it mm. uh, I guess quite soon right in the next few months then I mean yeah so the fact that the order started production probably mean that it's coming out on the market fairly soon so we'll, we'll have to uh, like one thing about Da Vinci is that it might not be immediately obvious when they switch over so maybe we should buy some new packs of the fills every few weeks and see if it has changed <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the other thing I wanted to talk about is that uh, Shimano Bungabaku has this like every year, I guess, um, they ask the readers to vote for pen of the year. So both the overall pen of the year and new pen of the year. And this has been a bit of a running joke uh, because the pen of the year has been pretty much the same 
every year but it's nevertheless i think interesting for uh, our listeners because they, it might not be obvious um what some of these pens here are so there are 10 pens in total so the overall pen of the year according to Shumunu Bungabaku's readers is Pelican M800 you know Brad Auda asked me about what you know foreign brands are popular in Japan and I said that Montblanc and Pelican are very popular and Pelican in particular I mean this just shows how popular this brand is so the number one overall pen of the year is Pelican M800 and then Number two is the first Japanese pen, so Platinum 3776. Yep. And then you got a Mont Blanc 149, you got another Pelican, and, and you got Lame Safari, another Mont Blanc, Pilot 743, Pilot Kakuno, Lame 2000, and Pilot Capless. So the other thing interesting about this whole list is you got three Pilot pens, you got zero Sailor pens in the overall pen of the year. Hmm. All right, and then uh, the other list is the new pen of the year, and this is was quite surprising to me. Um, actually, have you seen this? I have okay. not. So uh, this might be difficult, but could you guess the overall new pen of the year, two thousand twenty-one? New pen of the yes. year. Um, what are what are the parameters? I think it's just any pen that came out was released during last year, including like colors or if what? a pen came out in a new color then it qualifies but yeah oh then it qualifies yeah. okay okay i mean still that's uh, yeah. that's uh that's pretty hard um gosh i don't know i don't know number one is twisty swipe <laughs> oh okay and then number two is a pelican again the m600 in a green and white Okay. Number three, Lama, uh, Lama 2000 in brown. I didn't even know that it came out with a brown pen. Yeah, so these are none of the pens that would have made my top Exactly, list. exactly. And then the, the, the fourth one, even less, Parker 51. <laughs> oh, my God. They, and the, I, I think they need to find new readers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this tells you something about the, the, the readership, right? And then number five is Platinum 3776 Kinshu. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, they're all fire. <laughs> and then you got Aurora, that Casio Kaleidoscope, whatever it's called. Okay, okay. At least that's like one good pen on this list. But, jeez. And then you got Karandash uh, Rollerball 849. So maybe that's uh, Kohinata casting all the votes. I'm not sure. Um, oh, my goodness. And then finally, number eight, spot number eight is a sailor pen. Can you guess which, which sailor pen would be? on this list uh, one of the ebonite ones yes the the chokoku yeah exactly yeah oh my goodness okay and, these and then you got another mont blanc like elizabeth taylor and then number 10 is uh kuretaka's karapu pen <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so this this i mean yeah. i mean uh, this might not be what you think if you listen to uh, our podcast. I mean, th- th- this is a whole different. I mean, this tells you something about the readership and what kind of pens are actually popular. Yeah, and I think um, I think pricing has to do with a lot of the the rankings mm. because we know that the thirty seven seventy six is so popular because it's cheap. Yes, um, and that's that's been told to us by by store staff. Mm. We know that store staff actually don't like the thirty seven seventy six so much in terms of the quality but they're very easy to sell mm. uh, because of the price point yeah. um, and also because of the slip and seal cap so 
Yeah, I think, um, I I I know that the people in the industry actively read this mm. magazine. Um, I was working in my last job. Uh, one of our store staff used to work for Mont Blanc um, in the in the shop as a as the tencho as the mm. you know, uh, head of the shop, and so he used to read. Shimibun. And I remember when we first met, he's like, Oh my god, I've seen you in Shimibun before. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, that that's me. <laughs> um no, that's a funny anecdote. But yeah, we, we know that uh the people in the industry do do read this book. So uh I wonder how Sailor would feel about that. I, I hope it doesn't mean that they're gonna make more of these, you know, uh awkward ebonite pens. I would say though, I mean, we we talked about this ebonite pen when it came out, and from the photos, they looked all black and boring. When you see, when you see them in person, they do look a bit nicer though. The the, the pat- patterns yeah. are pretty nice. Yeah, they're a little bit nicer, but they're not eight hundred dollars nice. I think. Yeah, that's true. All right, so, um, you know, speaking of the the ebonite one, they recently, as in you know, a few weeks ago, they came out with a new model that as far as I can tell, is the exact same shape, but this time it's not an ebonite. Um, this time they have a, they have uh, an Urushi pen. And this series, I believe, is called Kirikane. Yeah. And normally I wouldn't think that it's super interesting, but the press release actually shows the six steps that they use to make this Kirikane pen. And what they do is, I think, actually pretty cool. They... Um, they have these gold foils and they they attach them to the pen and then they apply urushi over the pen and the person that's made these pens is is actually like an urushi master um, who you know was was from is from Kyoto uh, now I believe they are really focused on this specific type of urushi I think it's it's cool to see Sailor kind of you know going with this. Uh, you know, seeking out uh, masters of the art and collaborating on these pens like this. Even though I think these designs are not for me, I I do appreciate that they're doing that. They have did that a few times last year. They've done that a few times recently now, right? They have like mm. two like pens they use as canvas, and they release new versions with different types of like Urushi art. Yeah, it's thumbs up for me. Yeah. Um, and then second thing, uh, or last thing from Sailor that I want to talk about is this Ancora first anniversary pen. It's a pro gear, not a surprise. What is a surprise is that I think this is um, one of the very few uh, screen printed pro gears that they're going to have. So they have screen printed this you know cute flower design uh, all over the body and the cap. And they have a special flower design on the nib as well. This, I think, is, um, is very good. Uh, and I guess we're going to see more of these anniversary pens coming out of Ancora. So I think Ancora limited editions are, you know, they've clearly gone above and beyond for this. Although it is a bit expensive. Yeah, but it, but it isn't roughly the same price, uh, you know, taking FX rates into account as that, you know, rolls whatever thing in, in the US. And this is a lot yeah. more elaborate than, than that. Yeah, I think that's going to be the comparison for sure between uh, Every Rose Has a Thorn, which is a terrible name, and and this mm. one. Um, but yeah, I, I do like where that's headed, and I hope there's going to be more mm. on that. Um, Pilot 
also came out with uh, a new pen, the Neo Classic uh, 912. You took a picture of this pen uh, and you, you uploaded it today, I believe. Yeah, I went. So you bought one. Yeah, I went to Modern today and picked up one. And actually, I I asked the staff at Modern if this model has has a name, right? Because I've seen online that Pentanote call it Neo Classic. I think also Shosaikan. But the yep. the store display, you know, this sort of promotion thing they had from Pilots, it did not mention Neo Classic anywhere. The the label did not say Neo Classic, and Marsen sales staff said, no, this is just called, you know, custom nine one two twenty twenty two limited edition color. I, I wonder why that is because Bungabox also calls it Neo Classic. Um, all the shops are calling it Neo Classic. I'm looking at you know Rock Ten. They're calling it Neo Classic side. You know, Nagasawa is calling it Neo Classic side. I just wonder why. That that's so weird. Yeah, I think I think I have to go to Itoya and ask. I I consider Itoya to be the closest you get to the official <laughs> world. Because the thing is about this custom kai, this custom club things, there's no information from Pilot. That's always the case. Like yeah. I search Pilot's website for the word custom kai. There's only one mention, like a footnote on one page, that uh, if you b- want to buy a Pilot pen, you should seek out the store that is an authorized um, Pilot retailer. Yeah. You know, this custom kai, go to, but there's no mention about yeah. any custom kai pen. So yeah, you have to go to the retailers. They seem to be the only ones that have this information. Yeah, but I am happy that they're doing in this nine one two shape because usually they do it in the smaller seventy four. Yeah, last year's model was kind of boring. It was a 91. It was just this opaque color, like red, yellow, and green or something like that. It was kind of boring. Yeah, yeah this year's one is definitely more interesting. It's quite dark. It's all, it's not quite as dark as that Shosaikan, you know, custom mm. 823, but it's... Uh, if you want to take a photo, it's not easy to show the yeah. transparency. You have to work a bit, yeah. I agree. And even if you have it in hand, this is not easy to, to see yeah. it. I definitely think that it's a difficult pen to, pen to, to photograph. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I want to end the uh, the podcast on a note about Hanabi Glassworks. Um, I mentioned, you know, a few months ago, I went down to, to the workshop and, you know, had a great time. Uh, Lucas was a great guy, uh, really amazing experience actually to to see him turn this uh these pens or i guess blow these pens would be a, a better description and at the end of my kind of you know discussion of our visit uh i i said i wish that hanabi will um you know be a bit adventurous with their body shapes now a few months later i think hanabi's definitely come out with uh with shapes that i think are incredible specifically this resplendent series i think is a great shape it looks like a classic pen as well but it it has that kind of um fluidity and that that kind of motion that you couldn't get with anything except a a glass pen or a dip pen so i think that's very very cool have you managed to see these pens? I'm looking at the Instagram posts right now. Yeah, uh, it looks a little bit similar to whatever pens Hachimondia is selling. I, that's what it 
what looks like to me. But yeah, the design is pretty. Um, the next pen, which I guess you're going to be talking about next, looks it's a bit more unusual, right? Yeah. So so yesterday, um, 23 hours ago, uh, Lucas he he uploaded this wild pen, and this is an this is a oblique. Um, sorry, this is a glass pen that is shaped after an oblique nib holder. So it's got this, uh, it's got, you know, the pen body, which I, I really like the, the shape of as well. And then um, it's got this flange thing on the side where then you have the, the glass nib. This pen is sick. This pen is so cool. Yeah, I've never seen anything like this before. Um Personally, being left-handed, I don't need <laughs> oblique nibs. Uh, but I would be worried about breaking it. I mean, glass pens, they're already what, inherently fragile because of the material, even though there are some types of glass that are more uh, resilient than others. But I would be afraid to even hold this in my hand. I'm sure it's well-made. I'm sure it won't actually break easily, but it looks like this will break easily. Well... I'll tell you what this pen will be very, very useful for. This will be very useful for calligraphers who want to do um, monoline Spencerian or, um, or you know, monoline, even, let's say, um, business uh, cursive, mm. right? Usually you have to hold either the paper at a slant or the pen at a slant. Now, European calligraphers usually do everything with a straight holder right so that's what that's what you know mm. we have but especially um in the americas they often do um pointed nib calligraphy with oblique holders because that actually helps you with the angles so you don't have to rotate the paper so this will be very good for people who want to do that but in a monoline um nib and be able to use a lot of different inks at the same time without necessarily you know wiping down the nib um so thoroughly every single time yeah well i think it's he he made it because because he could right it is this you know this yeah. is a product that didn't exist on the market so uh, if it works well then that's great i mean it looks looks really cool yeah this is a this is a crazy pen i i love this pen i, I think this is such a great mm. idea all right um, so it's been a long one. Anything else that uh, that you wanted to add before we sign off? No, let's save the rest for next episode. So that's been the episode, and we we would love it if you, you help us spread the word. You know, talk about us on on forums, on on you know, write about us on, on your blogs or, or whatever. Uh, just keep spreading the word. Uh, really, really appreciate all of the listeners uh, who tune in today, and um, and yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. Uh, with that, my name is CY. You can find me on my website at tokyostationpens.com, on Instagram and TikTok at tokyostationpens, and on Twitter at tokyostationmnh. And my name is Jacob, and I'm a fan on Instagram and on Twitter. I have a blog at fudofan.com. All right, bye-bye. Bye.